uh, look who's back. Guess who's back. Uh, Shady's back. Back again. Uh, <laughs> guess is back. Guess is back. Guess is back. Guess is back. Anyway. Um, hi. Hi. Yeah. Welcome, uh, welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator, JP, and I'm here with, with Chuck. Father Chuck. Uh, as he's Coming known. to you... I look like I'm on vacation. I realize I'm I'm in a, I'm in I'm in a Aloha shirt. The the space behind me is not my usual background. It I don't know if it's going to be blurry when you all look at it, but apparently yeah. some kind of update happened to my computer where it looks like I have portrait mode when we use this program. And but this is actually my my TV room in my house, not like an Airbnb in the Caribbean. Um so but I, I feel like I look like I'm maxing and relaxing. Uh, shooting some b-ball. that I just said that awful phrase. Are you going to shoot some b-ball outside the school? No, when, I'm on vacation. When a couple of guys are up to no good. All right. I'm just going to like, I'm just going to wrap this episode, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, so we're here. We're back. And I'm glad you're here to record this while you're on vacation, Chuck. Um. <laughs> I, I like your filter. I think it's interesting. It has sort of a split diopter effect a little bit. Not totally. I mean, like a split diopter is when you have like a, something in the foreground and the background in the same focus. But usually there's like a little bit of just a little just a little smudge of Vaseline down the center. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian De Palma uses it a lot. Yeah, there's the, is there a scene in Jaws that uses that? I think there's a shot. I don't know. Spielberg uses it too. Um so yeah, uh, well, well, there. I mean, there is of course the famous. There is that famous. Uh, what is it? The telescoping dolly shot. What is that? That. Oh, the the zoom in. Uh, uh, the the zoom. Zoom dolly. The dolly zoom. Yeah, I guess is what it's called. Yeah. Yes, that is that is a famous shot. Uh, but we're not here to talk about uh, filmmaking concepts and. Uh, how to, how to shoot like Brian De Palma and, and Steven Spielberg. No, that's another podcast down the line that I'll be hosting. Really quick. Sorry to interrupt you, um, but it just made me think. I saw on your Instagram last night you posted a, that that thing about camera. Oh, like, yeah. All the different types of shots, and it was like, you know, like professional versus client. Like yeah. pan, 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 pan. <laughs> and I almost I almost commented that there was a um, a serious lack of college friend nearly dying <laughs> in those photos to, to explain how those shots work that yeah there is that there uh, I, you know what i think i, I still have that somewhere chuck I, i've got to find I, I'm, I'm pretty sure i have everything we've ever made somewhere and uh i've got to find them and i've got to make a just like a like a montage just a funny montage of just me torturing you <laughs> in college with with pork chop sideburns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 getting the entire side of my face licked by a gothic individual. Oh, that was weird. <laughs> oh, those were the days. Um, but here we are now with our with our own little podcast. And yes, um, uh, we we also kind of apologize for not being as consistent as we we usually are. Um, but you know, life happens. I think we said in the last episode. Um, so what are we talking about this week? Well, a couple of weeks ago, a movie came out directed by Quentin Tarantino. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, Chuck, it, it actually kind of occurred to me. We, we kind of owe a bit of this podcast to Quentin Tarantino 
because um, the three of us, Yumi and Matt, went to go see Hateful Eight, the 70 millimeter roadshow version, uh, which had an intermission. And during yep. the intermission, I was sitting between you and Matt, and you two just started like going, going in on the movie, like from a theological perspective. And I think that is sort of is that where we started to talk about like we should do a podcast. I think so. I think I, I'm trying to think now that if that's actually where the because I had been kicking the idea around in my head of suggesting it to Matt and you. Um, for about a year, but I just hadn't really, I hadn't really said anything because it was just something I was, you know, just sort of. Well, you I hadn't mentioned know. Masters of Divinity yet, but it was definitely like you, you two were going back and forth about some theological concepts you had. Oh, actually, of... you know what? No, you're right. You're right. That is because I think that's what happened. Is there was a suggestion, maybe you made it or someone made it that we should have a podcast, and then it was after that I started thinking about what oh. we would do with it, and then yeah, something like that. Yeah. And years later, here we are with a podcast. Quentin Tarantino has released a another movie, and it is, uh, I would call it a masterpiece. Would you, Chuck? I think so. I yeah. think so. It's, uh, yeah. Once upon a time, dot, 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 in Hollywood. That's that's how you say it. Right, with you, the, the ellipsis. The ellipsis and everything. Uh, sorry, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt. If you haven't seen it, see it immediately. Um, it's kind of, kind of starring everybody. Yeah. Are Mar- featuring everything. So, 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 almost everyone is in the movie. <laughs> Margot Robbie uh, is in it. Plays she's playing Sharon Tate, and she's brilliant. Um, I love I love Damian Lewis as Steve McQueen. I don't know if you know who Damian Lewis was. Yeah, he's the guy from. Um, he's in um, Homeland, right? And uh, yes, Homeland and Band of Brothers is sort of where he got where he became uh, famous. Yeah, and he's kind of a spitting image for Steve McQueen. Yeah, and that's like it's something I never really noticed. Right. Until, Until you put him in that black turtleneck and said, like, oh, wait, that's Steve McQueen. <laughs> now I can, I just can't unsee it when I look at both Steve McQueen and Damian Lewis. Um, so it's a good movie, and we're going to kind of spoil it. So if you haven't seen it, um, apologies. But there is something that happens in the movie that, that is sort of. Um, well, I, I, we do don't you... have to spoil it. We can just say that it is, that, ju- that there is a, it, it, it takes an alternate history track. Okay, that I mean, it's still kind of spoiling, but it's not. Okay. It's not specific. But what we will say there, there is. If, if you're familiar with Tarantino, you've probably seen Inglorious Bastards, and uh, Inglorious Bastards takes a turn uh, towards the end of the movie and sort of rewrites history, and that right. he, uh, Hitler is littered with bullets. Um. So it, there, there's a he. There's a similar thing that happens in this movie. Where if you're watching, you'll probably if you if you if you are familiar with with the happenings in the film concerning the Manson family and the Tate murders, you'll say, "Hey, that didn't happen." Um, so and that sort of sparked some uh, some some thinking amongst us amongst your, your masters of divinity about um, revisionist history and. Um, uh, just sort of like alternate, I don't want to say alternate realities. Like we're not talking about sliders, but we're talking about like, what if Why I, not? Or we could. We could. <laughs> I mean, here's a, I mean, we could, but, no, I, but the thing is, it's like, this is an interesting thing to talk about because on one hand, like we're talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. But this is the same summer where Avengers Endgame came out mm-hmm. where it raised, it raised the similar kind of 
questions within its own plot of can can this stuff happen this way and it's interesting we've got this you know critical darling possible oscar contender film and avengers endgame biggest and they're both huh biggest blockbuster of all time biggest blockbuster all time and they're and they're both kind of asking the same questions or they're both raising the same kinds of questions about how does like how does one change affect do you things. think, and you know, we're just gonna we're just gonna play. I'm not I'm not trying to guide any kind of uh, I don't have any talking points, but I'm just this is a question that just occurred to me, Chuck, and I want and I'm interested in your in your in your opinion. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe, and, and it's interesting, I never draw that that uh, uh, connection between Avengers and Once Upon a Time. Do you think that maybe this is sort of like now that we have these movies that are one literally goes back in time to other movies to to change them the other one is using movies to go back in time to change something that happened in history but they don't go back in time but like you know they they it's rewritten right do you think this is sort of like a tipping point in our sort of cultural obsession with nostalgia that's a really good question. Like, is this becoming something that is not necessarily reactionary, but I don't know. Is, 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 are we approaching a new uh, level of this sort of fascination with nostalgia? I mean, nostalgia is definitely, we've talked about it in the podcast before a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely something that we are we are seeing, I mean, really, I, yeah, I don't know, because we, it seems like it's been a few years since we've had, like, you know, the really pandery, the really pandering kind of um, nostalgia stuff. Like, it, it doesn't seem to be as prevalent, but then again, I, I don't see much advertising, so I don't know. But I, I, I know that, um, the like after South Park's infamous member berries <laughs> episode, I feel like there's been a tapering off of just lazy nostalgia. And I feel like probably the last big hurrah for it was Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. And then after that, it's just kind of it's it's been kind of um, like, I guess, like one and I'm going to walk on some dangerous ground here because i know how you feel about it and i've also never seen it but i know that i know that we there similar criticisms are levied at like stranger things Mm -hmm. but again having never seen stranger things which i know you deeply you really love i do is is that it it sort of uses its nostalgia for a purpose rather than just being like weren't the 80s funny um or quirky yeah I think sometimes it, it can, sometimes it doesn't. I think, you know, there there's, um, uh, I wish I had the essay, but there's like, someone wrote about uh, how there's two types of nostalgia, right? There's reflective nostalgia and mm-hmm. restorative nostalgia. Reflective nostalgia is sort of an opportunity to, to, to look back critically and talk about like the ugly parts and the good parts and you know, you, you could have a, a more uh, nuanced take on something that from from the past. You know, it's like it's like watching a classic film. Um, 
restorative nostalgia is you're trying to just take the things you like and say like like this 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 is the the memory I have like and that's sort of the, that's sort of what what Stranger Things is like there's mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of focus on what made the 80s rad but there's okay. no mention about what made the 80s like bad and I didn't mean to yeah, yeah. I didn't you're, you're to, rapping you're I, rapping I didn't mean to drop a <laughs> to, to to spit rhymes uh, but you know sometimes the the, the flow just comes um, so. I think so. Yeah, there's two. So those are the two types of nostalgia. I think is kind of interesting, um, um, and I and and so when I think of like, uh, I think that that's sort of what I think studios and other media companies are have been exploiting is the more restorative nostalgia. Like, look at how awesome the past was, without talking about like any of the bad things. Or like why yeah. we moved on from that, and yeah. then, but now it you know, are we becoming more self-aware? Like, I don't know, or maybe are we taking it too far? Now we have like a movie like Avengers Endgame, where it's like uh, they even kind of acknowledge like that that Thanos um, has no idea who these people are, <laughs> you know. Which yeah. is, is takes it to a certain level, I think. And I don't know if I'm trying to. Does that make any sense? Like. Yeah, I, I, um, I think, well, getting to like, t- like getting, getting to like the Tarant- getting to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, is what in terms of it. There, I mean, there's clearly, I mean, you know, Tarantino painstakingly sought to recreate 1969 Los Angeles. Yeah, I mean, very like almost like Mad Men esque level of attention to detail. Yeah, and. The and uh, and so I, I so on one hand, like you can look at that and say like, oh, yeah, well, this is here's Tarantino taking a trip down back to the L.A. of his childhood mm-hmm. and is holding our hand through it to be to kind of be like, oh, look how look how cool L.A. was before, you know, back when it was, you know, this this sort of golden age of Hollywood, like look at what it was like. Right. You know, right before the 70s came in and everything was bad, you know, um, even though his entire filmography draws from the 70s. But absolutely. It, yeah. And but, he's, he's always talking about how 1960s cinema sucks. <laughs> right. But there is there is an element. So if you don't know if you don't know Tarantino's work, it's really easy to see. Oh, he's he. This is a film lamenting the loss of Hollywood's golden age. Oh, yeah. But. What I kind of see happening with that movie is it seems to be kind of a rem- it seems to be a reminder to a lot of people who want to fetishize that time period to show it wasn't that glamorous right. and it wasn't that good. Um, I, I mentioned Mad Men and I, I think there's probably a bit of a connection between it and Mad Men in the sense that it it painstakingly recreates the time period in which it's set. Yeah. But does so in a way to remind you and all of us why, why that time period is no longer now. Um, right. You know, cause I, I made a comment to you after I saw once upon a time that, um, that I felt the movie did for hippies, what deliverance did for hillbillies. 
And probably, yeah. I, I can't tell you. I, again, the hippies are the Manson family, so we're talking about very specific kinds of people here. Mm-hmm. But you know, the two things that are to the, the the two things that are sort of seen as the the markers of the end of the 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 sixties and and and. Uh, and the flower child generation is and Altamont, the, uh, the, the, the Altamont, uh, whatever is it, Altamont Speedway Festival, whatever it was, but I don't know, I don't know. yeah. And then, um, the Manson murders, um, and the Manson murders, I think were a big thing because they were hippies. Yeah. And I feel like the people who sort of fetishize the hippies, have wanted to say no, 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 no. The hippies weren't like the, man. but no, they they were. The only difference is that is that Manson is that Manson had a murderous streak in him, but the 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 the, the moral like the amoral aspects of of their life, the filthiness of their existence, and all of that was pretty common yeah. among the hippie communes, and so it wasn't glamorous and. And it's you know there's a reason why we talk, you hear the joke about filthy hippies, um, and I don't know maybe I'm being maybe I'm being disingenuous maybe there maybe there are well, I think it's I think it's interesting because it's like you know they they were sort of uh, you know glamorized they were looked at as sort of like it was they they were the countercultural counterculture man you know they were changing things they were the progressive ones they were changing uh, they were part they were the revolution. But there were so many people that like pushed back against them and demonized them and solely because they were trying to push things forward and, and challenging the status quo. But then it's like the Manson family comes and it's like it sort of like, I mean, it'd be like finding out that those, well, I won't get into that. Um, it, it's like it, saying it, it'd be like finding the satanic confirmed, panic was real. <laughs> right. It confir- Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and that's kind of the thing I'm trying to get at is that it confirmed what a lot of people's suspicions were about hippies. All good things come to an end, right? All things turn a corner. Yeah. And so that the, the, this moment in time marked that turning of a corner where like so Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys lived in the house that um, that Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski, 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 whatever, um, um, that they ended up renting. And that's, that's kind of how, that's kind of how Tex and, and Susan Atkins and all of them, that's what, that's why they targeted that house was because, uh, Manson at one time lived there as well. Um, the story goes, so Wilson, Wilson and Charles Manson had a falling out. Um, partly due to the fact that of accusations that Wilson was stealing Charlie Manson's music because Charles Manson wanted to be a musician. And um, and he left a bullet on the counter with Dennis Wilson's name on it, from what I understand. And so Dennis Wilson moved out, uh, got as far away from Charles Manson as he could because he was scared of the guy, understandably, because it was Charles Manson, even though they they didn't know that what that meant at the time. Right. Um, but it, but they 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 got to know each other because the Beatles had fallen in sort of with the with the Maharashi, and it was a period of time where um, a lot of rock fans were 
like, you know, they, they found their guru because that was like a marketing thing, right? They could find their guru and everybody was looking for their guru. And apparently Dennis Wilson was looking for a guru and talked to some hippies that turned out to be the Manson family. Hmm. And they were like, oh, we've already found our guru. His name is Charlie. And that's kind of how they all fell in. And I mentioned all of that to show that, you know, there was this there was this thing happening in society that like all good things that they, they, they turn a corner and can be co-opted for really evil purposes. And it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to think of. Anyway, we've gone way off topic of what we were trying to talk about <laughs> it. So maybe we should just scrap this whole section. No, but, it's fine. No, no, it's, I think it's interesting. I like, I like talking about this stuff. It's, it's good. But it, I, I think our audience will think, like it. But I think what Tarantino is doing is he's I think he's just trying to he's trying to show a more accurate photo, a more, you know, accurate photo, accurate picture of 1969 Hollywood Mm -hmm. and that and that and the hippie era, especially the end of the hippie era, because, yeah, you've got the glamour of living in the Hollywood Hills. And, yeah, you've got the cool Cadillac and you've got um, just Brad Pitt's incredible costume in that movie. Those moccasin boots are. Yeah, dude. I want those moccasins, uh, even though I, I would never be able to pull them off like he does. But, um, um, you know, you've got Bruce Lee, which I've told you already. I'm, I, I, Mike Moe is a that's fake news. They they cloned Bruce Lee in a lab <laughs> for that movie. Um, and um, um, so we got to see all of that. But then, you know, you've got you've got Rick hawking up, you know, coughing up all kinds of nastiness out of his lungs because of his over smoking and over drinking. Yeah. You've got a whiskey sours in one night. Yeah. You've got, I mean, you've got a, like, I love the like really method acting girl with the script. Who's horrified at like all his coughing and just <laughs> yeah. grossness. Um, well, I, and I just love that that's that, that Tarantino does that. He shows here's the, there's the glamor part of it, but there's also, there's also this, like these people were unhealthy. Yeah. They were depressed. Mm-hmm. They were riddled with anxiety for their careers. They had sort the, of dark the, secrets that sort of were kind of hanging over them, like with, you know, Rick and his wife. Or not Rick, Cliff right. and his wife. Cliff and his wife. Which they, which I like that, the, it, it, that they never tell you whether he did or didn't kill yeah. his wife. It's definitely based on sort of like the Robert Wagner, Natalie Wood. Or um, one thing I learned. Uh, so the one of the TV shows we're making in this movie is uh, called Lancer and mm-hmm. the star of Lancer. Uh, oh, what's his name? Shoot. Uh, Timothy Oliphant plays him in the movie. Um, he was wrapped up in a scandal just like that. And so hmm. like, he's definitely Tarantino is definitely sort of creating this sort of environment where like, these are, this is like sort of that part of that culture where it's like, this is dying out and you're starting to learn these celebrities, really dark secrets. And, Hollywood is not really sure what to do with these people they have, <laughs> you know. Right. Well, and 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 one of the things too that I notice in the movie, and I've is um, Rick when they when they when they have the conversation with Rick about his costume yeah. for the for Lancer, and they say that they wanted to grow his hair out and they wanted him to look like a hippie. They make really? this point: we want you to look like a hippie. Um, did you notice they juxtapose his costuming with the only scene of Charles Manson showing up and their costume is very similar? No, I didn't. No. Um, they're both wearing sort of dark brown jackets, blue shirts. Like there is a, their hairstyles are almost the same. Um, 
I'm I'm thinking that part of what that's showing is Hollywood clearly wants the hippie to be the punching bag. Yeah, that's yeah. And and then here's Charles Manson in the background about ready to help confirm, you know, what a lot of people were feeling about this thing. And it's it's again, I think I think Tarantino is trying to show it's nostalgia, but it is showing it from all of the angles. Right. It's and and of course, you know, I, 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 it makes me think about trying to get us back on track. But it kind of it kind of makes me think about my own my own growing up. Right. You know, we we look at our childhoods just like Tarantino does. We we tend to look at our childhoods and we tend to think about all this really cool stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone thinks their childhood was the, you know, I shouldn't say everyone, but most many people think that their childhood was the best. Yeah. Like, they grew up in the best era possible, you know, and I fall into these traps too. Like the other day, you know, I was sending you photos of really awesome old Motorola pager cases, like when I used <laughs> to have like my Motorola pager. And turns out we had the same I'll, one. Yeah. Um, but I, as I was talking to Kana about it, we were, we were also saying like, yeah, they're cool, but man, what a, what a chore having a pager was. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and yeah, and that's just like one example of something where it's like, we can look at it and be like, oh, bro, remember pagers? They were so cool. But then you're like, yeah, but they're also really lame. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's, it's. You know, it makes you so, and that, and that gets to the other, and then of course this gets to the other piece too. Is what, what inevitably any of us do when we start thinking about our childhoods, is we start, you know, asking questions of like, what if, what if I had done this differently, or what if this thing had turned out slightly, slightly, you know, askew. Yeah. Um, you know, we maybe we, you know, maybe not as sad as Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite, but we do that, you know, Bona won that game in 82 we would have gone to state i would have gone to state and you know my whole life would be different i wouldn't be living in a van out in a field you know it it's you know yeah I love that movie. You buy some time. <laughs> um <laughs> hold on i gotta put the crystals in <laughs> what a brilliant movie time is uh, a piece of crap <laughs> um but but that, but that's, and I think that's that's kind of part of what we're talking about here, right? Is yeah. that question of how would things, you know, like how we we do this? This is something we do, and so I put it back. You know, it's a, there's a there, it, it's adjacent to nostalgia. Mm-hmm. So then think about like oh, like my my youth and childhood was awesome, but if I had changed this this and this and this, it may have, maybe have been better, or it may have been worse, or it may have been. So why why do you think we do that? It's comforting. And I, I think that happens, especially, you know, I, I read this whole article about, um, I should really say these articles I read. You should. They may be good to uh, cite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I read this article about, like, why Hollywood keeps making reboots and remakes and stuff. And basically, right now, nostalgia is just, like, a bankable commodity. Like, and it has a lot to do with the fact that things are just really shitty right now. <laughs> And you know when th- when people are distressed, when people are sad, um, you know they they just find whatever makes them more comfortable. And nostalgia is one of those things. It's actually it's it's becoming one of the most popular things that people do when they're you know going through a rough time. And I know that I find myself usually, and and I think it has a lot to do with age as well. 
I think when you, I'm, I'm 36 years old, <laughs> 36 years old. And um, I just think that when you get older and you reach adulthood and a little bit further down to adulthood, you just start thinking like, how did I get here? You know? And I think that's, I think that's kind of normal to think that. But I also think that our nostalgic culture has sort of kind of conditioned us to a little, to dwell on it a little bit further. I found myself, I actually found myself really dwelling on it a few weeks ago because I had been kind of like going through some stuff and I just sort of started thinking about um, my high school days and how it's like, I really feel like if I had just done this and done this and was more attentive toward this, I wouldn't be in the situation I'm in right now, you know, or the path to get here wouldn't be so rough or I'd be a smarter person or I don't know. Yeah, I, I do this. Kane and I do this a lot, actually, because the way and the, and the way we do it, though, is we talk about how unlikely it is that she and I ever met. Yeah. And so we like to try to trace like all the factors that both contributed to that and the factors that, you know, like that, you know, so we, because of that, we start thinking about all the ways in which things could have gone wrong. Right. Because, you know, what were the chances that two people who grew up around the same time in Florida? Yeah. Who like, and it gets weird too. Cause like she went to space camp. I went to space camp. <laughs> um, her dad used to, her dad's an, a very entrepreneurial person and her, him and his, um, him and my brother-in-law used to sell, um, they used to sell sneakers at the um, at the Webster flea market. I was a regular fixture at the Webster flea market as a kid. So there are chances that That's like funny. I was like in Kana's vicinity, yeah. or at least her dad. Like I could have had a conversation with her dad, or at least nodded to him or something, or walked past him at some point and had no idea. Um, so we like to we like to we like to speculate and think about all of those sorts of things of of of. You know, and and like the factors that got like, you know, I had to have I had to have bad stuff happen in my church growing up to cause me to question my beliefs that also inspired me to leave home that, you know, surfing inspired me to look at Palm Beach Atlantic University right. going to PBA allowed me to meet you. Um, it also allowed me to it, it's how I found the Episcopal Church. Um, but by an Episcopal church is how, which also involved another relationship I was in that ended, um, finding the Episcopal church got me to seminary, getting to seminary, you know, and, and aside from the fact of like picking the seminary, I picked Virginia seminary and there were 11 options for me and I picked Virginia seminary and it was that second year of seminary, um, almost 10 years from now that I was walking to church and I bumped into her on the street right. and we sat together in church and we only met because I drove and traffic or no, I took the Metro and the Metro was late. Like it was delayed and I was late to church and she drove and she was late to church. Right. And we just happened to meet at the exact, at that exact moment. And you know, it's, and it's one of those things too. Like after I met her that day, I knew I was going to marry her because I called my mom and told her I met I met the woman I was going to marry today. Like I knew that. And so like all of those 
all of those things that contribute to that moment to think about what if like I had decided, you know, what if I decided to drive that day instead of take the Metro or what if I had left five minutes earlier or what if I had, you know, what my, my life could have been completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and to think about, you know, what that would mean, which would mean that Charlie and Ford wouldn't be here that, you know, it's just, it's, it's a whole range of things that you can think about. And so it's, it's kind of on one hand, like I can, I, it, you know, I can kind of understand that, that thinking about it in terms of, you know, if I had done this, this, and this, maybe things would be different. Like I think about, you know, like looking back now, I like, I think about, Oh, if I had just applied myself more in school, I could have done this, this, and this. Right. Um, but it's also fun and interesting to think about all the ways in which it could have gone wrong so that you can say, no, this is the life that I'm in. And this is, this is like, this is the best possible of the realities. Mm-hmm. And to think about how all of the things that happen in, in one's life contribute to get you where you're at. And like, I don't know, this is a random thought, but it, it, it popped in my head about six months ago. I was, I was talking about something and I made the comment jokingly to someone. I said, I said, it feels like my entire life has been building to this moment. And then I realized, oh wait, that's true of every moment. Yeah. Every single moment of your life, your life is built toward it. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Yeah, I, I probably. There might be some Because everything here. you're doing is because of a past precedent of some kind, right? So like the fact that you're talking to me on this computer is because, you know, you felt imposed, you felt compelled to get in your car and drive and that is because, you know, so you can trace it back there's decisions. Everything you've done has Every moment of your life leads to the moment you're in now. Do you think this so like, is? Well, do you think this is why Calvinists are so obsessed with predestination? Like, oh, you're, you you just you just softballed me the <laughs> the other thing. Well, what were, what were you gonna say? I was I was I was gonna start going on like motivational motivational speaker mode <laughs> and be like. You know, like so, make the most of every moment that you have. Well, yeah, and that's yeah, that I mean, but that's. It is about it. It is. I mean, it's a totally Tony Robbins thing. But it's like whenever I I get stuck thinking about like, oh god, if if someone had just given me a skateboard when I was seventeen or something, or like if someone had just given me a better, someone had just given me a camera instead of a car, because that was actually a pretty defining moment when I was a teenager. Uh, my se- I was seventeen years old. Christmas was coming. And I really wanted this beautiful camera. It was the Canon XL1. It was the first one to shoot 24 frames per second and actually look like it had a movie mode, look like a real movie, which is sort of like commonplace now. Our phones can do it now. Um, and I really wanted that camera. And I told my parents, like, I need this camera. I got to have this camera. I, I, more than anything in the world, I want this camera. And they're like, but don't you want a car? I'm like, well, yeah, I want a car, but I really want, the, want, I want this camera. And then my parents made me think I was getting the camera for my for for, for Christmas. Mm. Wrapped up this box and everything and whatever. Uh, you know, we open up the presents and the, I open the box. I totally convinced that it's I'm finally going to become Steven Spielberg. And it's like just a box and I open it, it has like Pennzoil motor in it, or motor oil in it. Uh, you know, car wax. I'm like, what is this? What? Where's the camera? <laughs> I'm like, oh no, we got you a car. And like I like flipped 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 out uh, because it was uh, it was a nice uh, 2001 Mustang convertible. Oh, nice. Yeah, 
and, and so, but I, I always think about that. I was like, I feel like that's, that's like a, that's like a, a butterfly effect moment in my life. That's like a fork in the road. Like, what would have happened if I was it's, given that cam- a camera instead of the car? And like, what a perfect, what a perfect, what a perfect, <laughs> uh, uh, what is it, uh, Schrodinger moment, right? The box. Yeah, I, <laughs> that's true. As long as you're, it, it could have been anything inside that box. Yeah, it could have been, it could have been the camera, or it could have been the, the motor oil. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and what if I never opened that box? What if it was still closed to this day? Oh, oh that that <laughs> that reminds me of this of this um, oh this awful. I'm sure you've heard it. This illustration uh, that that preachers have used, where it's like kid for his birthday, he. He's like it's like it's like his birthday or Christmas or something, and he opens up a present. He's got this present. He he really wants a car. Yeah, he's been like dying for a car, and the dad gives him this box, and he opens it. And it's a Bible, and he's <laughs> no. like, "Screw you, dad!" Like, what do you? He's like, "You got to read the Bible, son." He's like, "Screw you! I'm not gonna read the Bible." And like, he just like throws the Bible aside, and like years go by, and like little things happen. And one day, like he's down in the dumps of his life or whatever, and so he he like flips open the Bible, and when he opens it, like the title. So like a car falls out of the pages of the Bible <laughs> and the dad had hidden the title in the Bible. If he had just read the Bible, he would have oh found it gosh. sooner. Dad's been, and ostensibly the dad has been doing the maintenance, the insurance, the upkeep on this car for years to be able to give his son. the. Or I think some oh preachers God. will tell it where like the dad dies oh, and then the kid feels guilty. And so he reads the Bible and the title of the car falls out. Oh my God. It's... <laughs> Wow, that's what, how, that's, uh, that's like something Pastor Dwayne would would tell his kids. It's, like it's, well, it's um, it's it's you know it, this is such a, 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 a an aside, but it, it it's 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 that it's that way that a certain segment of the church tries to you know encourage you to do spiritual stuff, where it's like right. it's a means to an end. Because right, like the message of that is, if you would just read the Bible, you too could find a car. <laughs> you know, like oh, it's not about oh, it's not about the Bible itself telling this like powerful story about the grand mysteries of the universe. Yeah, it's 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 actually a container for a car title if you just look hard enough. <laughs> well, anyway, so, so, so my original point before I got distracted by uh, my my Schrodinger cat moment, um, when I do find myself dwelling on these moments, and it is it's it's more often than I'd I'd, I'd want it to be. Um, I try to like tell myself, well, like, what if you could do that now? You know, like, what if you're? I mean, like, what can you do right now so that like ten years from now you're not thinking I could have been doing things differently when I was thirty six years old? You know what I mean? Right. Like, what what you can be proactive. Like, if if I came back in time from when I was forty six, uh, what would I hope this person? would tell me to, to do differently, you know? Um, harder than you think, actually. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Good, so. the, well, hard of the idea to think of, like, what what you would hope that 16-year-old you would learn from 46-year-old you? Oh, no, like, no, like, right now. Like, if someone came back in time right now to tell me, like, oh, you need to do this differently, what would they say? So that uh, as a way as it to not dwell on the past, but to like go ahead and try to like think of yourself as changing your future right now, so that you're gotcha. not doing the same thing in ten years. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I guess I don't know. I 
It's a bit Tim Robbinsy. I know it's a little cheesy, but it's like well, it's not. Che- I mean, I don't think it's cheesy. I think it's. I think it's a worthwhile thought experiment. It's. It's. Just, it's hard for me to wrap my my head around that kind of thing because for me, I I see the world as it's in a way like it's all going to be what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And like, I just kind of am along for the ride. Right. Um, all right, all right, all right. I know, right? In my low hosher. Time is um, a flat circle, man. There's a lot of ways, and there's a lot of ways different things can go, right? Like rivers. Rivers have tributaries. Rivers meander. Um, you know, you can you can bump a rock and you can be pulled into a different current than the one you were currently in, but ultimately the river arrives at the same place. Mm-hmm. And so, so like that's kind of how I see time work. Is that is that it it all meanders to where it's supposed to be in the long run anyway, and that the changes we make are effectively minor changes. Like we're not gonna, I don't know that we're gonna like carve off a new tributary or like a, you know, or like a a creek that reconnects with the head or anything like that. Maybe we will. I don't know. But like, but for the most part, we're we're being pulled in the same direction, and so it, we're just gonna wind up. I don't know. Does that make sense? Is that... Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. That's a just way to look at it. I look at it as sort of like I'm C-3PO and the Millennium Falcon as it's flying through the asteroid field. Mm-hmm. I just want. Never tell me the odds. Just I just wanted to stop, <laughs> and I'm the only one freaking out. And then we almost get eaten by a space slug. And y'all should have listened to me anyway. The I, you know, I, and part of me think about this too, similarly, is, uh, you know, I've been, I've been playing um, Breath of the Wild, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild again. And if you know anything, the Zelda timeline is kind of crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time marks like a place where it branches three directions. Right. Where, you know, either you win as a kid, you win as adult, or you lose as an adult. And, the game, and then the storylines they have they've made video games from each of those perspectives of like what's happened to Hyrule based off of each of those those conclusions of the game and but for Breath of the Wild they've said that they've they've envisioned it as the latest entry in the story and that it's ultimately where all those branches lead and that all the past continuity is somehow true in Breath of the Wild and I find that really fascinating. And I'm trying to think like, is it possible, man? Like, is it possible that, that there are, that there are relics of past historical timelines, like alternate timelines that exist in ours. And like, isn't that what the Mandela effect is supposed to be like kind? Yeah. 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 (laughs) The idea of like vestigial vestigial memories from alternate timelines. Yeah. So cool. That's a cool thing to think about. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fun to think about. I think people take it a little too seriously sometimes. Oh no, you totally. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but this but here is a question. Yeah. How does a Calvinist watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Well, I guess he would just think it is. They would just think it was you know absurd, right? I mean, like, you used to you lived in L.A. You lived with a Calvinist. You watched Tarantino films, so like you can kind of you uh, have some. Of he did not watch Tarantino films. Oh, he didn't. Oh, no, okay, he did not. 
no, uh, nope. That that that, that it, this this little detour, by the way. But I, I, but thinking about Tarantino and like his his latest movie and how great it is and stuff, it, it kind of made me proud. Like when we were going to school at PBA and we were going to film school, I, I was very much into Tarantino, and I'm pretty sure I was the only person in that entire school who was into Tarantino. And it created a like a little bit of reputation. I might have gotten to some heated arguments during class with other students who did not like him. Um, a lot of people like to take the moral high ground, you know. Right. I um, remember. Yeah. And uh, uh, I remember some of those conversations with the movie Sin City. Yes. That's, that's, that's actually especially when it started to get heated. Oh, God. Um, I don't know. There's, there's uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I take some kind of I have some pride in that now, like that I was able to be that. I don't know, because there is a sort of stigma to being a Tarantino fan now. You know, the guy with, with the Pulp Fiction poster on his wall, who also, right. like, Moondock Saints and whatever, and it's like, oh, I'm that guy. But I, but I don't know. I feel like being that person in that time was, uh, I think it was more special than uh, how other people perceive it. Anyway. Well, and I would, and I, well, and it, this is kind of adjacent to the question I asked because those debates, those discussions, yeah. I remember some of them being around. Well, I remember myself defending some of that stuff from the, from the standpoint of like, this is, this is, this is us being able to see on film what, like, you know, to use Calvinistic terminology, like what total depravity looks like. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's not endorsing any of it, but it allows you to see what it looks like. And so it puts it in front of you. And that's that's an important that's an important thing to be able to be confronted with. And, to and you know, it it, it it causes you to ask good moral questions about yourself. It's not just to be like, you know, self-indulgent about things. Yeah. I mean, like, for instance, Glorious Bastards, even though it came out after we were in college, that's a movie that I come to all the time. Not all of him, but fairly regularly about the fact that I find the violence directed toward the Nazis in that movie very cathartic, but that fact disturbs me yeah. because I don't know that as a Christian I should find any kind of violence redemptive and cathartic. But, but can fun? But can fake violence be fun? Oh, I mean, yeah, but but at the same time, like I think it like I think it's fun because it it indulges a a yeah. part of us that is probably not the most healthy and right. Well, you know, not the, not the best parts of ourselves. Um, that's when we get into our discussion about violence in our culture. <laughs> right. Well, and you know, honestly, maybe, maybe we should have had that conversation in this episode, given what's happened in the past week, but yeah, that's, that's um, true. But, but I, but I, but I brought this up because, you know, these, there were, there were a lot of Calvinist minded folks at our school who, as you pointed out, didn't like Tarantino films, but I, but I wonder, you know, on one hand, like you could watch it from like a total depravity standpoint and be like, you know, oh, yeah, this is what this shows. This shows the wickedness of humanity and what a world without God, you know, can look like or whatever. Um, and I would but give what them so do, much but what credit. With like, but what do you do with like alternative histories if you're like if everything is predetermined? Like, is it do you see a movie like that as complete nonsense or is it just sort of like, oh, it's fun speculation or mm -hmm. is it, you know, and, and like or do you like. I don't know because I, I think about this kind be of, like a kind case of, for predestination, like right, yeah. or like 
and like raises all kinds of interesting things about the idea of of determinism and 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 all of that because like you know are there like what if we find out there are parallel universes that do exist as a result of the decisions that we make and which is a possibility right right like string theory and and others say that there, that it does that you know that it does that, the, that, that there's a very strong possibility that such a thing exists what do we do with that from a from a um like from a salvation conversation right like does that mean there is that does that mean there is a world where jesus never came mm -hmm. or or is there a world where you know kind of like scorsese did with last temptation of christ where jesus lives an old man life instead of going to the cross bro we gotta watch that movie and talk about it on this podcast <laughs> we gotta <laughs> that be do that immediately but you're right. I mean, that's that, that's that's a question. That's that's what that's a question Martin Scorsese asks. Yeah, you know. Um, or, or is or is you know DC Comics? DC Comics had a concept for a while known as um, it was called like Concrete Time. This is something that um, that um, Booster Gold dealt with from time to time, which is that there are some moments there are some moments in history that can't be changed because they're so pivotal yeah. that that you can have you can have multiple timelines but they uh, but there are certain things that they all have to happen and like one of those is superman's arrival on earth yeah um and doctor and, who and, they're called fixed moments in time okay so like is it's <laughs> okay so yeah so like is is like you know the life and death of jesus a fixed moment in time like there is no universe where that doesn't happen yeah obviously there's probably no universe where creation doesn't happen because like you can't have parallel universes without a universe Right. Or, I mean, maybe if there are universes that exist outside our universe, if we go by the Big Bang Theory, the universe existed in one uh, uh, specific form. Maybe there are other universes outside our own that exist in that form that has not gone through that expansion. What, is, what does that thing look like? Can, and can, can we harness that power and use it to take over the world and give me a skateboard when I was 17? <laughs> <laughs> well, right. So, okay. Well, that's a question, right? Okay. So, yeah. So, I guess what Stephen Hawking would say. Stephen Hawking would say that. Because he would say that our universe, that, that the mechanics of our universe demonstrate that we don't need God because it's a self-perpetuating, self-creating thing. Like essentially, it, I mean, he said he he said that, yeah, that, that the universe created itself essentially. Yeah. All right. But here's the thing. Okay. So, so everything condensed down into this, you know, all matter is condensed into this like extremely dense, super hot, extremely compact point. That's something. Right. What's around it? Because in order for there to be something, there has to be something else. Right. So other universes, I don't know. Right. <laughs> Maybe is it just like looks a, like a bunch a... of beach balls surrounding a, a tennis ball. I don't know. Is it and is there is there a meta universe? Well, it, uh, who's that physicist? Uh, that that uh, Asian physicist um, who built a collider in his backyard. Um, uh, is he the guy who's in a lot of the UFO stuff? No, I don't. I don't, I don't know. He he was part of the Giant Hadron Collider project. I guess I forgot his name. Uh, but he described the existence of universes, parallel universes, as bubbles, like bubbles on top of bubbles. So like I don't know. That's. It's like the the maybe the 
the, the, the spaces in between is sort of where that piece of matter is. And, in, in, in DC Comics lore, the, all of the, the, the multiverse, everything exists in the same time and space. Yeah. They just, they're on top of each other, but they're all moving at different vibrational frequencies. And they and they navigate it with a ship made of solidified music. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, you've never you, 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 have you never read Final Crisis? Uh, I don't think I have. No. no. Yeah, Grant Morrison is in a whole other level. Um, but yeah, it it deals. Are, are, with, is it a yellow submarine by any chance? <laughs> it is yellow. <laughs> it is. It actually kind of looks like the yellow submarine. Yeah, but it <laughs> but it is made of it is made of solidified music. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. This is exactly what Tarantino had in mind when he made this movie, and this is the kind of discussions he knew he would be uh, uh, inspiring. This is where, where we are. Yeah, and so there's in, in it there are 52 strings, and each of those strings are tuned to the different vibrational frequencies of of the different Earth. And so when you pluck that string, it shakes the, the basically it resonates the whole ship so that it manifests into the different, into the different earths. Oh my God. The guy's on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. Okay. Well, well, what did we learn today? Oh, we're done. I don't know. We're, we're at an hour. I'm just, that's, that's the arrow warning. Uh, gotcha. You don't have to be done. If you, if you, if you have more to say, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, cause I don't know. It might be kind of. Oh, we've already done. I was saying it might be kind of fun to like start speculating a little more about if if we just done this differently. Well, you know, some people, and I think there's some, there could be some danger in this, right? In this sort of revisionism, a lot of people are painting Tarantino. Shoot, I don't know. Okay, this is where we're going to get into spoilers. So if you don't want to hear this next part we've given you an hour of, of content you can listen to so that we can get into some spoiler talk okay so the manson family is killed off by basically by rick and cliff and they don't kill sharon tate and jay sebring and uh the uh, was a folger girl <sighs> i forgot her name um they don't kill anybody and they survive now a lot of people are trying to say that like this is tarantino saying that you know, the big elephant in the room is Roman Polanski, right? Like, what mm-hmm. he, he went on to do, like, he, was, like, he basically, like, raped a young girl and, and possibly many others. Um, so a lot of people are suggesting that the reason why that happened was because uh, Sharon Tate was murdered, that he was acting out of some sort of trauma or whatever. I have never bought that. Um, I don't think that's really true. And a lot of people are sort of saying, like, is this Tarantino saying, like, oh, well, Roman Polanski wouldn't have done all those horrible things if, you know, the Manson family hadn't murdered Sharon Tate. Where do people get that? I have that no is, idea. I don't because because it's so... because because it is part of a conversation. It is part of a specific conversation where people like are will will argue for it and against it. And I guess people are trying to like paint him as like on the side of someone who would argue for it you know what i mean right so so what they're basically saying then is that roman polanski is what we call an opportunistic predator rather than a indiscriminate predator where like there are circumstances that 
put him in a situation where he he's going to do something that he otherwise wouldn't do. But I think that people are trying to paint Tarantino as that. No, 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 no. That that he no, because because then the argument would then be that I'm just trying to understand. Then the argument is then that Roman Polanski only did this stuff with the with with this young girl, with this teenager, yeah. because of his trauma from from Sharon's murder. Right. So that if Sharon wasn't murdered, Polanski would not have. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So like. I don't know. That's such a. That seems like that 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 perfectly encapsulates all that all that frustrates me about internet discourse. <laughs> it's too the many discourse. layers. Yeah. It's too many layers because. You know, for all we know, Roman Polanski was doing that while he was yeah. overseas, and like, and so he would have been. Like it would have played out the same way. It's just we would be in a world where Sharon lived, right? Instead, like I don't. I, that's such a weird. It's also a pretty fundamental misunderstanding about how predators work. Yeah. But, um. But then, I, but okay. But that's <laughs> weird. Like I don't know that for somebody to. Say, I just like, don't think. I, I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't think Quentin Tarantino is suggesting that at all. Like no, that. not at all. I don't know where you get that. Yeah. <laughs> well, because it's it, and it's it's it, unless you're trying to get just trying to get some that ad revenue. Yeah. Well, there is definitely that. Um, I don't know, man. I it, you know I, I don't. I'm not saying there. There is definitely, like I said, there definitely is that conversation people have had where it's like, well, if you know, the only reason Roman Polanski did all this is probably because of the trauma of Sharon Tate, and you had the other people like, okay, that's ridiculous, and they're right, it is ridiculous. But then I can also see people who like don't like Quentin Tarantino because they paint him as this sort of like horrible movie fanboy, you know, the kind of guy I tried to illustrate earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, he would think that probably, and that's probably why he made this movie. Is probably to say that, like, yeah, that's weird. That's just I don't know. That's a weird <laughs> way of living one's life. People have been so, out for that guy since day one. Yeah, trying to paint him as this like terrible person. By the way, it, in this conversation, I realized, I realized there's a movie. I didn't see it. I don't think you saw it either. Um, but deals with the same kind of issue, but apparently really poorly. And that is the movie Yesterday. Yesterday. Who's in that? It, isn't the movie? I think Danny Boyle directed it. It's that movie about the guy oh, who wakes up. it's the Beatles one. Oh, my God. Yes. And I've heard it's awful. I. And that it shows yeah. that the beat, like the loss of the Beatles in society has really no impact on anything else. Yeah, Devin Faraji talked about it. He said, like, yeah, I read... he's, like, he's like, the moment I saw him, like, look at a David Bowie album, I was like, okay, this movie sucks. Because <laughs> how could you have David Bowie without the Beatles? Right. <laughs> right. It's kind of interesting to show that the movie, that the movie presents a universe where, even though it's trying to defend the Beatles, it tries to show that the, the world moved on pretty inconsequentially <laughs> without them. But it raises an interesting question. If there were no Beatles... Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's never any Beatles music in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Is yesterday that work? <laughs> because think about it. Yeah. You don't have the Beatles. You don't have Charles Manson. Yeah. Because well, the White Album music is really tipped off his whole thing. That's well, then true. He, might have used, he might have used a different album. But it's... It's an interesting, but it is an interesting thing to think about that 
you know, the, 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 these kinds of ripples because, you know, like what does the world look like where Sharon Tate lives? Yeah. Um, and where, well, like, okay. So the way the movie ends with them, the police just show up and cart off the bodies of the three of those three of the three Manson killers. Right. Um, you know, because they didn't kill anyone, it's probably not a big story. Right. Right. Like there's probably a footnote like, oh, three would be assailants, you know, hit Rick Dalton's because he's sort of washed up. So people aren't like, oh, my gosh, like he's not in this up and coming career trajectory. They probably give him about 15 minutes more of fame. That's about right. It. He'd just be a back, right then, back in his position. <laughs> right. But then but then because of that, Charles Manson doesn't become the notorious figure. I mean, unless, you know, they, the rest of the story plays out where like, you know, Squeaky tries to kill Carter and, and other things like that. You know, does does Manson do something Ford, worse? Right? It's Ford, I think, wasn't it? Oh, that's right, yeah, Ford, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, they kill some other Ford. actor, I don't know. Yeah, and it, but it just makes, you know, or does, does it cause does it cause Manson to then ramp up and do something else? Or does Cliff does Cliff notify the police and say, oh, yeah, I went to this ranch, and this is, I went to Spawn's ranch, and this is where these people were all from, and the police go and deal with it there. And then Manson just becomes, like, is a footnote. Like, oh, yeah, there was this thing that happened once. This guy, he was running a cult in the Spawn's ranch. And I think that's it. Like, there's no more notoriety to it. And then no copycats there's no it's it's just an interesting that's interesting to think about like what potential ripples could exist for from something like that yeah because you know sharon tate her you know her her career had just started right she wasn't in very much you know she's in that one polanski film where he where she met polanski it was the fearless vampire killers and then she was in this movie the wrecking crew that's in the film which is sort of like this james bond ripoff right um so like what 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 is what would it look like? I mean, would it would the counterculture? I mean, I don't know. Like, would we have the new Hollywood era in the seventies? You know, like maybe Sharon Tate's superstardom uh, changes Hollywood or like keeps Hollywood the same. I don't know. Maybe her and yeah. Cliff or or her and Rick rise to stardom together. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and like without New Hollywood, you don't have Star Wars. You know, Star Wars. You don't have Jaws. You don't have Godfather. You don't have America uh, Apocalypse Now. The Badlands. <laughs> the Badlands. You know, yeah, like all those. All you those don't get Terrence Malick. You don't get any of that stuff. I mean, just think of. I mean, <sighs> Taxi Driver. It gets into this. Gets into Chinatown. The great Maybe it was Star Trek: The Original Series episode, "City on the Edge of Forever." Yeah, actually, you know Edith what? Keeler yeah. must. Die. <laughs> it makes me wonder: Would would Roman Polanski have made Chinatown if Sharon Tate hadn't been murdered? Because there there is something in that movie. You know that I love that film. Right. Uh, there is something dark in that movie that that relates deeply to to Roman Polanski. A lot of things happening in that film, sort of revealing of who he is, and also of like what traumatized him. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I don't know. You'd have a whole era of Hollywood that probably wouldn't exist if, like, maybe Sharon Tate had had been murdered. <laughs> you know, you know who else you wouldn't have? Yeah, Marilyn Manson. That's true. <laughs> yeah, maybe it'd just be Marilyn. I don't know. And yeah, um, 
it's 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 very interesting like to think about how and how much the Manson murders were became a part of pop culture yeah themselves and i don't know it's just it's this is the kind of stuff i love i love i love speculating and thinking about what does you know where where does the world go with these sorts of changes mm-hmm. and is it a better world obviously we won't we wouldn't know right but it would be cool. It would be cool to visit that parallel universe for a little while, right? To like, to see, you know, is it is it better? Is it worse? Like, what how what kind of different is it? You know, like, I mean, think about if every decision that's ever been made impacts the other things, right? Because we're in this constant web of of cause and effect. Um. Like. Does, does. Sharon Tate not getting murdered somehow affect a decision my mother make, makes right. in the late 60s that keeps her from going to Memphis, Tennessee and later meeting my dad. And then I don't exist. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just it's it's, yeah. you know, it's and so like that's why like it's it's I think this I, I just in the universe, you know, we talk about tragedy and trauma of the universe, but I do think that. It is so complex and and sometimes random that there's an element to it that's like that things kind of have to play out the way they play out as messed up as that often is. I don't know, but it it's like I said, it's interesting to speculate. Yeah, I mean, there's things like what what would America be a less violent place if Charles Manson had never become a thing? Would there be there'd probably be less hysteria maybe I don't know um, yeah there's moments of time like that right there like it's, it also kind of reminds me of like uh, the that that pivotal plane crash with like Richie Valens and oh right Big and um, the Big Bopper and uh, and uh, um, was Jerry Jerry uh, Jerry Lee Lewis right was no 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 no. You're, no you're thinking of um, glasses every oh, Buddy day. Holly there we go yeah we're like i just remember like I, I remember people telling me like when that happened everyone thought like music was over yeah i mean that's that's what the song american pie by don mclean's about yeah the day the music died yeah i do i do think though and all when it's all said and done i do i do believe in those fixed points in time yeah and i think there are things that all all various streams of time will coalesce to and lead to because you know they all streams eventually reach a certain source or they all converge and do different things. Right. And I think that, you know, and for all we know, we're like at the Delta and it might converge into something else. You know, we don't, we, we can't even contemplate yet. So what, what do we do? How do we, how do we navigate those streams? Well, we love each other. Right. I mean, if, yeah. if, if Charles Manson had learned the proper way to love someone, he probably never would have killed he probably never inspired people to kill Sharon Tate. Probably. Um, you know, I, one of the things that I do, we can close on this. One of the things that I do frequently in, in chapels, um, at least once a year, I, I do a chapel service where I talk about, I just, I, I, I map out the size of the universe for the students. Like I show here's what earth is. And then I show like these graphs and it's like, get to like, you know, um, various stars Beetle, beetlejuice you know or Betelgeist, whatever it's called all those different all these different um you know 
massive stars and compare them to the size of like earth and just show like you know it's a, the, 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 it gets to a point where these things are hilariously big and we can't even fathom how big those are and then we look at our solar system there's a really cool website if you that everyone should check out it's called if the moon were a pixel i think it's still around mm-hmm. but basically what it does it puts the moon as the size of a pixel on your screen and you scroll horizontally and it shows you just how much space there is in our solar system. It just goes out to like Neptune or whatever. Um, but like you get this sense of the scale of things out there and then you get to like Sedna, which the orbit of Sedna is like, was yeah. it like 1500 years or something? I mean, it's, it's just so far out there and it's still part of our solar system. And then you get to the Oort cloud and you get to just all these bigger things and you start panning out and you can find images of like, you know, of the map of the known universe. I mean, like, you know, I just posted on social media the day that in the observable universe, scientists estimate that there are 10 to the 24th stars, 10 with 24 zeros behind it stars. And so, and there, and there is just, you know, that much more space between all of those stars, right? So the universe is, unbelievably big on top of that we have spent trillions of dollars in the search for extraterrestrial intelligence Mm -hmm. and while we've only mapped like a a a hilariously small part of that huge universe um we know for sure right now with absolute certainty we know that we're the only life on in the entire universe like we know that and so when we consider all of that, to me, I think, how silly, how silly is climate change? <laughs> how silly is gun violence? How silly is the fact that we fight over whether or not someone should be able to own a, a, a fully automatic weapon or, or fight over whether or not we should be, use, you know, you know, that we, we, we put branded plastic straws at our political rallies so that we can fight, you know, the liberal paper straw or whatever. What's, I mean, what utter stupidity do, are we dealing with here when you consider the fact in this vastness, we are the only, like literally, okay. So scientists, similarly, they estimate that on earth, there are 10 to the 24th power grains of sand on earth. So almost the same number of stars as our grains of sand. Uh, which is cool because that there's that biblical allusion to the, those connections. I think it's kind of interesting that they that those two connections are made um, in the Bible. But um, but like that's like saying going to the beach, picking up one grain of sand, and saying this is the only grain of sand that has life on it. Wow. And so and so, and we're gonna like and we're gonna be like, eh, I'm just gonna keep. I, we're just gonna, you know, it's gonna hurt our profit margin if we if we don't if we switch over to uh, to, to 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 something else, to solar, you know, the the wind turbines cause tornadoes. You know, we're just gonna, it's, you know, it's it's, and so like life is so incredibly special, and so considering all of this randomness that we've just talked about, and the idea that not only are we really you know unique, but the fact that the universe is so complex, and that there could be all these different, you know, it's just river of whatever flowing that's why loving each other just makes so much sense Mm -hmm. because what we have is super precious and you love what's precious you love what's fragile you love what's rare so like you know in all of that like there's only one john post there's only one father charles there's only 
one Matt. There's only hi Matt. He's quiet. No, 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 no. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like, it yeah. just seems it seems really absurd that we do the things that we do to each other. It's very true. When we put it into that perspective. Right. Yeah. Well, all right. That's a great place to end. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to thank Father Chuck for being here. Uh, I'll do that in just a minute. Thank you, Father Chuck, for being here. What are you doing? <laughs> are you crying? No. Okay. I said I, I want to thank Father Chuck for being here, and I'll do that in just a minute. So I paused. Oh, gosh. And I thanked you. <laughs> a pun. Okay. <laughs> Not really a pun, just very literal. I thought you thought I was crying. Like, <laughs> so Did I move you? Runner <laughs> one speck of sand, man. You gotta love each other on our sand. I'm just crying in a sand. Like, um, whatever. Ch- <laughs> That's mind blowing and deep. All right. No, it's good. I do. No, I love it. I love it. But you know me. I I need to. I need to be funny. Um, I, I have a disease. Funny's good. I have a disease. Um, Thank you. Know. <laughs> thanks, Father Chuck. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, thank you for listening. Uh, and for watching, if you're watching us on YouTube, remember to like, hit the little button that looks like this, because believe it or not, it does help us out a little. Uh, you can subscribe if you like. I'm not trying to tell you how to live your life, but you know what's what's one subscription to a YouTube channel to you, huh, buddy? Anyway, uh, nothing. <laughs> just ring that bell. And once a week, you'll get a notification saying that we, we've released a video. I'm making this very easy for you. Right. Not bitter. I have a chip on my shoulder, like Bruce Lee. Um, he didn't have a chip on his shoulder, did he? I don't know. He's kind of portrayed that way sometimes. I wouldn't say he was portrayed that way in, in, in Once Upon a Time. People are really mad about that, by the way. I know. And it's, it's his own, his, his daughter is mad about it. She didn't like it. She saw it as like everyone laughing at her dad. But like, I'm like, I don't get it. I thought it was great. And like, they didn't finish the fight. He didn't, it's not like he lost. Like, well, and I, and I kind of feel like, I don't know, my, my, my take on, I know we should be done by now, but my take on that was when is like, one, it's like, that's hilarious that Cliff Booth just got in a fight with Bruce Lee. Like, that's yeah. hilarious, right? <laughs> and the look on his face, like Bruce Lee's face, was like, you know, Cliff has no idea how close to death he just came. Yeah. And, and but the other thing is, is like, Bruce Lee's, like, whole thing was, like, when he sort of confronted about, he was just, like, the, 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 look, on, the look on Mike Moe's face as Bruce Lee is priceless when, when, um, when um, they break up the fight. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's almost like he's like, I was just about to win this thing. <laughs> Even was... though it doesn't matter. Yeah. It is pretty, pretty funny. Like, I watched it this, I watched the movie a second time and I didn't realize, um, you know, he gets in like huge trouble for fighting with them. And, you mm-hmm. know, the, the Zoe Bell, the woman played by Zoe Bell, throws him uh, off the set and it cuts back to, to, to Cliff reminiscing about it. And he's just like, yeah, that's fair. I deserve that. Yeah. <laughs> um so yeah so, so subscribe to us uh ring ring that bell if you want uh, and go see once upon a time in hollywood if you haven't seen it um 
and, and if even if you have seen, see it again. There's some things that pop up that's uh, kind of interesting to see. And uh, can I make a prediction, Chuck? Sure. I think it's going to win Best Picture. I, you know, I think about this a lot uh, since seeing it. You know, it, it, if it does, it's kind of perfect because it totally hits all of those tip, all of those stereotypical Oscar bait type movies. Yeah, like it hits a lot of their notes, but it doesn't. Obviously, it does not. It is not an Oscar bait movie. No, not at all. But the fact that it, the fact that it, like, really kind of is like. Look how great Hollywood was at this, you know, and it's in the 60s. You know, they love to just hang on to that golden era of the, you know, the counterculture and all of that. And, you know, it deals with Sharon Tate. And oh, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think it, I, I totally agree with you. It's boomer bait when you think about it, you know. Yeah, but but subverts it because it's yeah. made by a Gen X filmmaker. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm making that prediction. I think this is the one. I think he's finally going to get his best picture, and I think it's going to be this movie. And you know what? I can't think of a more appropriate film for him to finally win best picture, and I hope it is. All right. Then that's all the time we have. Join us again next week. Have a wonderful week. Good journey. Good journey on your river toward your destination of love. <laughs>